0: advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Today, we welcome back to the Hazard Girls podcast, Michelle Seiler-Tucker. Michelle is a world-renowned expert in the field of mergers and acquisitions, and a leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. You've probably seen her on CNBC and Fox Business, where she's a frequent guest. Michelle is the best-selling author of the book, Exit Rich the book Think and Grow Rich Today, and the book Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. Her latest bestseller is Exit Rich, which we are celebrating today because it's now accessible to an even wider audience through its new release on audiobook. Exit Rich is on all the bestseller lists, and Steve Forbes himself said that Exit Rich is a, quote, goldmine for entrepreneurs. Michelle, welcome back to the Hazard Girls podcast. We're so thrilled that you're joining us again today. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for having me back on. So the last time you were here, we got a chance to talk about your background and you know, a little bit about your childhood and your experiences as a woman in this male populated field of mergers and acquisitions and finance. And we also got to delve a little bit into Exit Rich. But, you know, just really quickly, something I did not get last time when I asked you is you actually... We talked about this, but I didn't get to ask you this question, but you co-authored this book with Sharon Lecter of Rich Dad, Poor Dad fame. And I would just love to hear how you met Sharon and how the two of you started working together.
1: Sure. So Sharon and I met years ago. I want to say the first event, I don't remember. I want to say it was either Secret Knock or CEO Space, but we met years ago at an event because we were both speaking on the same stage. So we ran into each other many, many, many times, you know, just on the speaking circuit. And a good friend of mine said, you know, Michelle, you should get a co-author for Exit Rich. Not that I need a co-author because I've already written the entire manuscript, but it's always good to have good names like a Sharon Lecter when you're trying to make Wall Street Journal, USA Today, New York Times, you know, that always helps to have a co-author that's made all those lists before. And that was a well, it was the biggest reasons that I decided to bring Sharon on. So I wrote the manuscript, sent it to her. I was really concerned that she was going to come back to me with all these changes. And she didn't. She came back to me with very, very minor revisions. And she said, I love it. I love the manuscript. I love to be a part of it. And then she wrote the mentor's corner after each section. So that was it, kind of easy peasy. You know, I wasn't sure she was going to say yes. We have a very good mutual friend that's really best friends to both of us. And he was kind of, and I love Sharon. I mean, we're closer now after writing Exit Rich together than we were before. But yeah, it was a good process. And I think, you know, she has a tremendous amount of value to Exit Rich. And, you know, she hasn't been in the M&A industry, but she's been in the finance industry as a literacy expert and a CPA and an advisor to some of the different presidents. So she brings a tremendous amount of value.
0: Yeah, it's so cool. We love seeing powerful women working together, supporting each other. It's what we're all about at Hazard Girls. So I couldn't forget to ask you about that. And also Rich Dad, Poor Dad podcast is on our network. It's on the C-Suite network with us. So I wanted to make sure I brought that up too, because I, I didn't even know if we talked about that last time.
1: Yeah, we didn't. No, we didn't talk about that last time.
0: Yeah, the Robert Kiyosaki show. So, okay, well, Exit Rich, it's all about planning for the sale of your business from the very start. And, you know, not when you're about to sell it, but when you're first building the business. And you have a couple of different methods that you talk about, the GPS exit method and the 6P method, And which, by the way, is I love how you package it. So it makes it so easy to digest and to understand for the average person that's reading it. But what we started to talk about last time is some of the top mistakes business owners make. And you mentioned that if you knew I was going to ask that question, you could really like explain a lot of your processes through that lens of like mistakes top business owners make. So I would love to be able to go back and do that a little bit. That way we can really like reach all the points and hear more about, you know, what can we do as business owners to avoid making some of these mistakes? So I don't know if you want to start at the GPS exit model. Yeah, let's
1: talk about some of the mistakes that business owners make. So first and foremost is Steve Forbes says 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. 80%. And that's not just a number. That's a pretty startling statistic to business owners because that means you have less than a 20% chance of success. Less than a 20% chance. That should be a big, huge wake-up call, a slap in the face (laughs) to business owners that, hey, if you want to build your business to exit rich one day, you really got to get it together now. And you got to build a business that buyers want to build. And unfortunately, so many business owners build a job in which they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And I I do that sometimes. sometimes.
0: I'm sorry. So they're like creating something. They think they're building a business, but they're just making themselves a place to go to work every day, not something they can sell.
1: Let me go back. So business owners are creating a qualified job in which they go to work it every day versus a business they can actually sell. Because if the business is dependent upon them, which most businesses are a a thousand percent dependent upon the owner, then that business is not sellable. You take that owner out. I'll give you a perfect example, a dental practice. Been in business 50 plus years. He said, Michelle, I want to sell my business. I said, how many dentists? He said, just me. I'm the only dentist. I said, how many dental hygienists? Three. They're my daughter's. <laughs> if him and his daughters leave, there is no business because the patients leave. And I said to him, I can sell your business, but I can't maximize value because you and your daughters are the business. You've really created a job for your family. You haven't created a business that works for you and your family. And so there's going to be earnout clauses and seller financing and all these clauses that are going to mitigate the buyer's risk. And you'll have to stay on for two to three years. And he said, Well, we're not going to stay on. I said, Well, then you're not selling. So. Really, got, everybody's got to get this into their mindset that if you want to sell a business, you got to grow a business. <laughs> and it just can't be you. You know, look at Tony Robbins. Here's another example. Tony Robbins can't sell his business because it's Tony Robbins. Now he has done an ESOP and he's been able to sell to his employees, but he can't sell Tony Robbins. So you really got to create a business, not a job for yourself. So the other big issue, the other big mistake is that business owners are notorious for not planning their exit. I've never really had a business owner, maybe I've had this happen to me two or three times in the last 20 years where a business owner will come to me and say, yeah, I've planned out my whole exit. It never really happens. Most business owners will call during a catastrophic event, external or, or internal. Internal is like, they'll call me up and say, oh, Michelle, I had a lady in Dallas that said my husband died, dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 40 left me with a bunch of debt. What can you do? Can you sell the business? We didn't have a business. He had a job. He had no employees, he had only subcontractors. He had no processes or procedures. When he died, the business died because all the data was in his head. So same thing with this pandemic. I mean, a lot of business owners are calling and saying, can you sell my business? Because my business is way down because of the pandemic. Well, the worst time to sell your business is during a catastrophic event. And then business owners will also call and say, hey, you know, I'll ask him how much do you want to sell your business for? 10 million. And their cash flow might be $100,000. Well, nobody's going to give you $10 million to make $100,000. Business owners really come up with a value in their head, what their business is worth based upon what they need to enter in the next phase of their life. Rather that they want to go into you know buying another business or go into retirement or something like that. So they'll say, look, I need $10 million to retire on. That's what I need to sell my business for. Buyers don't care what you need. Buyers don't really care what you want. <laughs> Buyers care about what the value is to them.
0: And so, and your book is really all about how to avoid this, right? So how can they set it up?
1: My book is all about how to avoid exiting for pennies on a dollar, close your business, or even worse, file bankruptcy, because 70% of businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer are going out of business, selling, like I said, pennies on a dollar, closing your companies, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. So my book is all about how to build a sustainable, scalable, so you'll have a a sellable asset and you don't end up in
0: that 80% of businesses that never sell. You had mentioned the GPS model, exit model. Do you want to go into that a little bit and talk about what that means?
1: Sure, because again, it goes back to the 10 mistakes that business owners make. So the first mistake is is not planning their exit, right? We talked about that. Not planning their exit and not setting their family up for success, not building a sellable asset that can run without them. So Stephen Covey says, if you've heard of Stephen Covey, he always says, start with the end in mind. Same thing with your business. Start with the end in mind. So from the minute you start a business or buy a business, you should already start with your end in mind. I call this a GPS exit model. If you want to drive somewhere in mind, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what do you plug in?
0: Your exit. I mean, your end
1: point. Your destination, right? Yeah. You plug in your destination. So if you don't plug in that
0: destination, where do you go? If you don't Nowhere.
1: (laughs) You go nowhere. That's what happens to business owners. They don't plug in their destination. They don't have an end game. They have no idea what they want to sell their business for. So, they wake up one day and say, oh, I want to sell my business for $10 million because that's what I need to retire on. But guess what? They didn't build a $10 million business, so nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to give it to them. So, you need to say right up front, this is my destination. Now, you can change that along the way, right? Depending upon how well your business is, you can increase, increase, increase that. If your business is doing bad, obviously you have to decrease that. But you need to go into this saying, I'm going to sell this business. Look, I never partner with a business owner or get into business without having my exit planned. So you need to say, look, here's my destination. Let's say it's $10 million. You want to sell your business for $10 million. What does the GPS exit need to know next other than your destination?
0: Your quiz is Michelle. Oh my God, you're killing me. I guess like whether you want to take highways.
1: No, it needs to know where you're starting from. It'll never get you to your destination unless it knows where you're coming from. So it needs to know your current location. In business, it's called your evaluation. What is your business worth today? And most business owners never, ever get a business evaluation. So they have no idea. I mean, I just talked to a business owner the other day, been in business 60 years, never had his business evaluated. That's financial suicide. And the reason that's financial suicide is because there are events that increase valuation and there are events that decrease valuation. Correct? Correct. So you always want to know what your business is worth to know how close you are to your destination. And I would never recommend going to a CPA. You need to go to an M&A expert because CPAs are really not experienced in evaluating businesses. They look at the numbers. They don't look at the synergies. They don't evaluate your business on the six Ps like we do. So you need an M&A expert for that. So let's say you want to sell for 10 million and right now you're currently worth a million. Well, we got some work to do. The next thing the GPS exit model always wants to know, or you always want to know is what is my time frame? <laughs> so if you're going to drive to point A from point B, you want to know what's the quickest path. Same thing with your business. So let's say you want to sell for 10 million, you're worth a million. You want to do this in five years. Now you need to know, well, who are my buyers going to be? There's five types of buyers. 98% of buyers are first-time buyers. They don't buy $10 million companies. And then the second type is turnaround specialist. They don't buy ten million dollar companies. They buy filling assets for zero to no money down. <laughs> and then the third type of buyers are private equity groups. They buy based on platforms and add-ons. So let's say that they want to get into skincare, and they won't even consider a skincare business unless you have at least at least three to seven million dollars in EBITDA for a platform. Now, if they're already in the skincare, they'll look at other skincare businesses anywhere you know under a million dollars as an add-on. Then the fourth type of buyer are strategic competitors, strategic slash competitors. And they're typically the best buyer, Emily, because they pay the highest multiple. Because they're buying synergies. They're buying those proprietary patents and trademarks and databases and contracts. They're buying synergies that will catapult their business to the next level. Then the fifth type of buyer are what I call storm chasers. These are sophisticated buyers. And they are industry agnostic. They're not EBITDA-specific. Okay. Uh-huh. They're industry agnostic. They look at EBITDA more than they do industry is what I meant to say. And so then you've got to reverse engineer your plan. Now you know, hey, I want to sell for 10 million I'm more than a million. I'm going to do this in five years. And my buyers are going to be either the last three, private equity, strategic slash competitor, and or a sophisticated entrepreneur. Now you need to know, well, where do the numbers need to land? If I want to sell for 10 million, this is a plan. This is called a plan. If I want to sell for $10 million, then I need to have, you know, I need to know where my revenue is, Cogs, operating expense. I need to have an EBIT of at least two million dollars to sell for ten million dollars. And then you want to know what are those characteristics that will really motivate a buyer to outbid everyone else, creating a bidding war, so you can maximize value on the sell of your business. That's the GPS exit model, you know. And it's not look, business owners don't plan to fail; they fail to plan. That's why so many businesses end up going out of business instead of selling.
0: Now you mentioned all these you mentioned all these different types of buyers. Do you recommend that people just focus on one or two of those or just kind of keep yourself open-minded?
1: No, you don't keep yourself open-minded because the way you build a business to sell for a private equity group or strategic is completely different than the way you build a business to sell for a first-time buyer. First-time buyers buy coffee shops and restaurants and Dry cleaners, they're not buying $10 million companies. So you want to know who that buyer is. I mean, think of it this way, Emily. When you go in a business, you say, okay, here's my widget. You say, here's my widget. Rather, it's a media company, rather, your manufacturing, skincare line, rather, no matter what your business is, it's your widget. Then you have your ideal of target market, your clients. You build everything to meet your client specific target market, right? Your business is your widget. Identify who your buyers are. Build your business and meet their specific criteria so they'll pay you more. So
0: you have your target purchaser from the very beginning, and that's what planning is all about. Now, does this lead into the six Ps that you were we were talking about? Of course, about?
1: because the six Ps is the infrastructure of your business. So you know, we're talking about the biggest mistakes that business owners make. So the first is not planning or exit from the beginning. That's number one. Number two, it's business owners that built themselves a glorified job that they go to work for versus a business that works for them. And if you think about it, we go into business to have financial freedom, to have a better quality of life, right? To have more time. But business owners get in their business and guess what? Many of them are not making any money. <laughs> They're not going to put more money into their business. Many of them, I just talked to a gentleman the other day, he's been in business 40 years. But he hasn't taken a vacation in nine years. He's missed all of his kids' soccer games. He missed their, you know, plays. What kind of life is that? (laughs) You just built yourself a job. So the biggest mistake the business owners make is they're working in their business, not on their business. So the first P is people. You have to have people. You have to focus on your strengths and hire your weaknesses. A lot of entrepreneurs don't like to hire out their weaknesses because they want to be the smartest person in the room. Guess what? You're never going to build a successful business if you don't hire your weaknesses, if you don't get that CFO, if you don't get that COO. Don't worry about not being the smartest person in the room. Worry about being the biggest visionary. Is is Elon Musk always the smartest person in the room? Is Donald Trump? Donald Trump had a right-hand person, an attorney called George Ross. And George Ross... Donald Trump would just go off and create these deals because he's a visionary in his head. And Donald Ross was like, crap, how are we going to make this work? <laughs> so George Ross was the glue that held the deal together. Without George Ross, Donald Trump would have no buildings. <laughs> so you always got to have somebody who's smarter than you. And you have to have the right people in the right seats. And you have to ask the who question. Who handles customer service? Who handles legal accounting? banking, who handles quality control, marketing, the list goes on and on. So that's the biggest mistake is working in your business. And here's the other thing. Here's the other big mistake. Business owners are control freaks. Entrepreneurs are control freaks. They have the mindset that if I want to do it right, I have to do it myself. The problem with that scenario, they have every finger in every pie, but the problem with that scenario is you're never going to be truly successful. You'll never be able to be sustainable and you'll never be able to scale. You have to let go of the control to grow. In order to grow, you must let go of the control. And you don't build a business. You build people and people build the business.
0: You mentioned about the importance of the people, so the employees. Does it make a difference in the sellability of your business, whether it's freelancers or actual salaried employees?
1: Yes and no. Let me kind of explain. So there's a new wave of entrepreneurs now. Because of this pandemic, so many people have, you know, quit their job, decided to work from home or been laid off, you know, because of the pandemic. So there's so many individuals that went out there and created some really great businesses. You know, they've created SaaS companies, they've created e-commerce businesses, and then they want to sell them. So they've done really, really well in a quick period of time, but they have no infrastructure. So they have no employees, they have no office, and they have all 1099s. The problem with that is when they want to cash out and sell for $5, 10 $15, 20000000 million, the first thing the buyer is going to look at is who's going to run this business? Where's the team? How many people do I have to hire? So if you're making a million dollars, like we're selling an app company right now, the EBITDA on this company is about $1.7 to $2 million. And we just got an LOI. It's been on the business for two weeks, on the market for two weeks. And the buyer said, look, I'm going to have to subtract what it's going to cost me for a developer... For a manager, for somebody else, like I need three people, he has none. It's husband and wife. So he's going to subtract a half a million dollars from that EBITDA because he doesn't have the infrastructure. So it's okay to have 1099s, but look at my subcontractor. Look at the lady in Dallas whose husband had a contracting business. He had all 1099s, all subcontractors, no employees to run the business. So if you only have subcontractors and you the business is not really sellable for much. You can sell it, but you'll never maximize value.
0: Right. That makes sense. And then, you know, you mentioned about working, you know, creating a job for yourself versus creating a sellable business. I just had this kind of like a side question for that. A lot of business owners name their business after themselves with their own name. Do you recommend that?
1: Well, I named my company Seller Tucker. And <laughs>
0: <Okay. laughs> I did that in 2016.
1: But yeah, I'm going to say yes and no. So if you look at Tony Robbins, he'll never be able to sell outside of his employees. If you've ever read the book called The Millionaire Mindset by T. Harv Eckard, somebody really smart got a hold of him and said, listen here, <laughs> T, you are not going to be sellable because you're branding everything around you. You need a company. So that's when he started peak potentials and he was ever able to sell peak potentials for millions and millions. So if you are going to name it after yourself, You really have to brand that. So I'm going to pretty much say you shouldn't, but if you do it, you really have to brand that company separate from yourself. Does that make sense?
0: It does. So a lot of our audience, and the reason I'm asking this is because it, it's applicable to our audience, a lot of our audience is architects and you know, women maybe in design. And so they're creating their own businesses and they're all about personal branding. And some of them are doing just an incredible job at personal branding, but I'm just worried about how do you separate that?
1: Yeah. Well, it's very difficult because they're making the carnal mistake of just branding themselves. You can't do that. If you look at Apple with Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs did a really good job of branding himself and branding Apple. Every time Steve Jobs had an event, he always knew what Steve Jobs was going to wear, right? It was always a black hoodie, the blue jeans, and the white tennis shoes. But he had Apple everywhere. So if you're going to brand yourself, which I think you do, you should, but you must brand your company too. And you got to make sure you have employees under you. Otherwise, you have nothing to sell. If you're an architect and it's just you and you're branding you, 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 will never be able to sell that.
0: So you want to brand both. You so want to brand
1: both and you want to make sure you have employees. See, the reason I do Solid Tucker is because I'm branding both. I'm already well branded, but I brand me and I also brand the company I'm always talking about my team, my team, my team, my team. So I'm branding both, you know. So yeah, that's very imperative to brand both.
0: Well, so it doesn't have Michelle in it, and it's, so it's sort of a different. It
1: doesn't have Michelle, and that's the thing. Never put your first name in there, and that's a problem. People put their first name. If you're gonna Brian, Brand Robbins, Brand seller Talker brand your last name because, and this is another thing that I think is very important because I just found this out the other day. It's not what you know that gets you in trouble. It's what you don't know. <laughs> so I was talking to a trademark attorney the other day and he said, Michelle, you really need to trademark Siler Tucker. And I go, it's my name. Why do I have to trademark my name? He said, because there's other Tuckers in the world. There are other Silers. So make it go up and open up Tucker M&A for them. And there's nothing you can do about it because it could be their name too. So if you're going to use your name, make sure you check the federal database, make sure you get an attorney and trademark your name, believe it or not. I would have never said that a year ago, (laughs) but I learned this from an attorney. And so if you are going to use your name, use your last name only. And if you are going to use your name, make sure you have employees. Don't do it if you're just a solo entrepreneur.
0: Okay. So product. Let's talk a little bit about product.
1: Yeah. So product is another mistake that business owners make. If you look at the pandemic over the last two and a half years, Restaurants took a huge nosedive. A lot of restaurants, thousands upon thousands, but thousands of restaurants went out of business. And product is your industry, your service, your product. And you always have to ask yourself is it on the way up? Do I have an Amazon? Because you should sell, Emily, when you have an Amazon. Or do you have a Blockbuster? <laughs> Nobody wants to buy a Blockbuster. But the other big issue with products and the biggest mistake sellers make is they have one profit center. They have one way they get paid. Restaurants have one way they get paid, Emily. That's why you going to eat. Are you taking food to go. They have no e-commerce business. They have no, they're not selling their cooking books. They're not selling their products, you know, in private grocery stores. They have no additional profit streams. So every entrepreneur should have anywhere from three to five profit centers on ways that they get paid.
0: Per business?
1: Yes, per business. Yes. So in my business, in my M&A firm, I get paid when we sell businesses. I get paid when we do evaluations. We also get paid when I speak. I also get paid in the Road to Exit Rich program, and we get paid when we have people in that program. And the reason we have that program is because most businesses are not sellable. We have to get businesses to where they're sellable in which to sell. So we have a program where we help business owners build their business to sell and for their desired price tag. So I have five different ways I get paid in this business, but I own other businesses too. And all these businesses have three to five ways that they get paid per business. So if one of my businesses dry up, I have another one. But if one of those profit centers like the restaurant industry, nobody could come in and out, but there's other things you can do in the restaurant industry to have multiple profit centers. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And you have to do multiple profit centers with a lot of things, like multiple profit centers in your business. If you have a restaurant, you should have e-commerce. If you have a restaurant, you should sell some products, your label products in your store. You know, have you ever been to like a Pat O'Brien's or a Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville? What do they sell? They sell hats. They sell t-shirts. They sell, you know, everything, right? They sell cookbooks. So you want to have multiple streams of revenue. Same thing with patrons, which is the fifth P. Patrons are your client base. You want to have different client bases, right? Different customer bases. So if a business is doing landscape, they might have commercial, but maybe they should have residential too. So, if commercial kind of dries up, so in the pandemic, commercial businesses weren't getting landscaping.
0: So, let me ask you this then. Are you supposed to be focusing on offering a different type of service to get different patrons? Or is it, are you just trying to like, or do you want to focus on selling the same exact service to more different types of people?
1: Well, I would say so. Let's take a company, I think that that will make it easiest. I want it to be congruent. I'm not asking a restaurant to go out there and start a landscape company (laughs) or a landscape company to go out there and start a restaurant. But like we have an electrical company right now that we're selling and they have three different divisions. They have electrical and that's all the electrical work that they do in commercial. They also get paid. They have different customer bases, but they have electrical, all the electrical stuff they do. Then They have engineering department, so they get paid on all their drawings. And then they have industrial work that is very different than electrical. So they have three different ways that they get paid. So you really got to look at the business like a restaurant, you know, and I harp on restaurants because everyone's suffering the most right now. But, you know, they can get paid for people coming in and dining. If you look at a restaurant here in New Orleans called Commander's Palace, they've also started another profit center where they're doing wine and cheese night. So once a week they do a Zoom all around the world. You pick a package between 100, 200, $300 of your wine and cheese. They ship it to your house and you get on a Zoom and there's a sommelier and you know some other experts and you're going through a wine and cheese experience. That's another profit center for them. There's another restaurant that has a famous chef and this famous chef will send you all the ingredients to your house and have a cooking show with you and your family. (laughs) (laughs) So So you just got to get creative. You got to ask yourself, what business are you in? What is your superpower? And what business should you be in? You know, McDonald's did that back in 1940. Everybody should watch a movie called The Founder. McDonald's back in 1940 started a fast food restaurant when there weren't any. And they wanted to design their fast food restaurant around the customer's experience. So they asked, you know, what do you want to experience? And they all said, we want great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. And they developed that back in the 40s, but it's a reason you can eat at McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the
0: same experience. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It it makes me think of what we had ice cream cups that we ordered from Fresh Direct. We're eating them and my husband's looking at it and he goes, wait a minute, I've been to this ice cream place in Brooklyn. And so it's just, they they turned themselves into like a little ice cream cup that is now sold in grocery stores. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what
1: restaurants can do. They can take something that's very famous in their restaurant. They can market that up. They can package that. And that can be an additional profit center that they're selling either online or they're selling in grocery stores or they're selling in little boutiques. You know, there's all different ways to come up with creative ideas, but you got to have multiple profit centers. Just like in marketing, you can't just have one funnel. You can't just do Facebook ads. <laughs> you got to have at least five to 10 marketing channels. And those five to 10 marketing channels, I mean, for us, it's like our book is a marketing channel. Our podcast is a marketing channel. Me being on other marketing podcasts is a channel. SEO is a channel. Google ads is a channel. Social media is a channel. You know, our referral program with CPAs and attorneys is a channel. (laughs) So you have to have multiple channels for marketing as well to bring clients through your door.
0: And we talked a little bit about proprietary. I think we kind of dug into that a little bit last time, but what would you say is like the top mistake in that department?
1: That oh my in? gosh,
0: there's <laughs> a lot.
1: Well, number one is improprietary. Is so let's go back and look at the pillars of proprietary. The more well-branded you are, the more we can sell your company for as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumer. Nobody's paying any money for Blockbuster or Toys R Us, but they are paying huge money for other companies with big names. The most valuable brand in the world is, do you know? The most valuable Apple? brand in the world, Apple. It's worth $389 billion just for the brand. That doesn't include the assets or the inventory. See, my quizzes are good. You're doing good <laughs> on my quizzes. That doesn't include the real estate, the cash flow, the inventory, anything else. Their company is worth trillions, but the brand alone is worth $289 billion. So you have to build your brand, but not just your personal brand, because personal brands really are difficult to sell, not impossible to sell because they're your brand. And so you have to build that company brand, build that company brand. And that's what really drives value. So the biggest mistake that businesses make in proprietary is they build a personal brand, not their company brand and... They also don't get a federal trademark on their company name. So they go to GoDaddy, they think of a name, they go to GoDaddy, and they're like, yes, we got the name. And then they go to their state and and apply for a register mark in their state. No, 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 (laughs) because you can receive a system and assist letter in the mail five years later, and you have to stop using that company name. So you want to make sure you spend the money. It's less than a $1,000. Spend the money, file a mark for your company name your logo, your slogan, anything that's unique to you, your podcast. The name of your podcast, Exit Rich, the name of my podcast, Exit Rich, is federally trademarked. And then if you have any products, you can do those too. So those little ice cream cups, they probably have a federal trademark on that. And we have a client that has different products and they're really the same, but they're different because they're named differently, but they have a federal trademark on them and they're exclusive to each retail chain. So, And then the other big mistake is you want to get patents. If you have anything patentable, get a patent because it drives value. And then the other big, big, big mistake is contracts. So a lot of business owners will have manufacturing contracts, vendor contracts, franchisors have franchisees, client contracts, especially on subscription models. But the big mistake is they never put the transferability clause that says this contract is transferable upon the new entity because 98% sales are asset sales, not stock sales.
0: And then that loses the value of that contract. Absolutely.
1: The other big mistake is they take their proprietary, like their trademarks or patents, all their proprietary, and they keep it in the same corporation. Big mistake. If you get sued, then you're going to lose your IP. You'll always keep your IP in a separate corporation.
0: So do you keep Exit Rich in a separate corporation from the podcast and the book?
1: No, I haven't done that yet because my attorney hasn't advised me and you know, I always recommend everybody to go to your. You now, here's the th- problem with attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like CPAs. I mean, you can go to 10 different attorneys, you get 10 different opinions, right? Yeah, Don't you know. just go to any attorney, go to a patent and a trademark attorney. So I wasted five years and a lot of money with the wrong attorney, with an MA attorney doing my trademarks. Big mistake. Make sure you go to an attorney who specializes. And trademarks specializes an IP. Now, if I had a patent, which I don't have, I would definitely have that in a separate entity for sure. And then databases, you know, a lot of companies have hundreds upon hundreds and thousands upon thousands of names, but they don't have them in a database where it's really organized. Databases, you can sell database for a tremendous amount of money, even if you're not making any money. Facebook paid nineteen billion dollars for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging but they had a billion users. So build your users, build that database. The other big mistake, content is king. So, you know, any type of celebrity endorsements, radio personalities, content. But the big mistake is if you get a 1099 employer and an intern from college or go to freelance or any of those services, you have to have them sign a contract that says you own the content. Because when that content starts generating money, many of these people have filed a lawsuit against that owner saying they wrote the content. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very important.
0: Well, you mentioned one of your clients has different products and different outlets. I think you mentioned Wayfair is maybe like what, something exclusive to one store and then something else exclusive to another store. Is that, are they all branded the same or are they all branded with different They're trademarks? They're all
1: branded definitely with different trademarks.
0: So if like, would the average person know that was the same company?
1: no. <laughs> no.
0: So they actually have to go get trademarks for every single product.
1: Right. You don't have to. That's what this company did. But if you have different products, you should definitely get a name for that product and have a federal trademark for each one of those products.
0: Okay. Okay. And then finally, I think that we hit all of them except profit.
1: Did I miss it? Well, we didn't hit processes. And processes are huge mistakes that business owners make. Most of the mistakes that business owners make are centered around people, which we talked about. Well, it's really all now, products, because we talked about products, processes, proprietaries, lots of mistakes in proprietary, but processes is huge because processes is the number one reason why businesses are not scalable, sustainable, and sellable. So you got to really sit down with each department, get this processes, the processes, policies, procedure manuals done for each department, create the SOP checklist. But the big mistake the business owners make is they design their processes Around their own agenda versus the customer experience. I'll give you an example doctor's offices, their processes regarding their hours or Monday through Friday, nine to five when we're all working, and closed on Friday or open, you know, till two on Friday. Well, my husband and I own multidisciplinary clinics, and we said, okay, what do we want our patients to experience? Come up with three things. One's not enough five's too many. You need three. So, we said, well, we want our our patients to really experience flexibility, flexible hours. We want them to experience walk in, see the doctor, no wait time. And we want them to experience affordability if they don't have insurance. Make sense? All right. So, what do we do? We said, okay, our process is regarding, number one, flexible hours, we give them three evenings a week that we're open till 7.30 at night. On Saturdays, we're open till two, nine to two. And we have enough staff and we have our processes down to where there's no wait time. So you gotta look and ask yourself, what do you want your clients to experience? Because if you don't create wow experiences for your clients, you're gonna lose market share. Extremely important. And then the other thing is, is making sure that you have those SLP checklists per department and a big mistake that business owners make is when they finally do let go of the control to grow, they let go of it completely. <laughs> you can't let go of things completely. You still have to trust but verify. You still have to inspect what you expect. There are three out of five business owners get embezzled every single year because they don't put in the checks and balances and they don't inspect what they expect and they're embezzled. I have one client who was embezzled six different times.
0: By different people or by the same person?
1: No, by different people. So you want to make sure that you always set up these processes, procedures, policies You always have checks and balances, and you always check in and make sure that you're expecting what you expect. I have never been embezzled because I know what to do. (gasps) I know what systems to set up. Make sense?
0: So, yeah. So the setting up this system of checks and balances, because at a certain point, you're going to have to relinquish control over different areas of your company. So you have to have these checks and balances. So you're saying that's part of the value. It is. You sell
1: it, yeah, a thousand percent, and so processes are everything because people are not going to be efficient and productive if they don't have processes to drive them. Processes are not going to work if you don't have no people, (laughs) you know. A lot of people are going to computerize, you know, if you look at McDonald's and banks and all these restaurants, they're going computerized now because they can't get good quality employees. Another mistake that business owners make in people because you mentioned this earlier about 1099, so I want to make this clear. You can have 1099s, but you still have to have infrastructure with a management team in place, employees, so the business can run without you. But you, if you're going to have 1099s, you better follow the IRS rules. And there are a lot of businesses that have 1099s in companies like manufacturing companies, distribution companies, with no workers' comp. All it's going to take is one lawsuit. We were selling a manufacturing company and he had all 1099s in his warehouse, in his distribution center. I said, listen, if one of them gets hurt, you're out of business because they're going to sue you. You're going to lose everything. I said, and they are not construed as a 1099. You need to know the rules. And so I said, you need to convert them all to employees right now. And he said, well, Michelle, that would cost me a fortune. I said, well, what do you think a buyer is going to do when they buy your business? They're going to look at it. You'll be lucky if they don't report you, but they're going to look at it and they're going to say, what's well, going to cost this much, this much, this much. To get this company up to the legal standards of the IRS. So you have to be very careful with that. The fifth P is patrons, and the biggest so patrons is your customer base. Most businesses, and we're kind of all over on the P's, but that's okay. Most business owners follow the 80-20 rule where 80% of their revenue comes from 20% of their clients. You lose a client, you literally can be out of business. So, Emily, all businesses need to follow the rule of diversification, not customer concentration. You can't have all your eggs in one basket. I mean, we're selling a manufacturing company that only sells to hotels. Well, guess what? Their business almost went out of business during the pandemic because nobody was staying in a hotel. So hotels were not ordering more products. Okay. So you want diversification. You don't want customer concentration. If you have customer concentration, it's very difficult to sell that business, if not impossible. And then just like you have three to five profit centers, revenue centers, congruent revenue centers, and you have five to 10 marketing channels, you need different customer bases. Like I said, if you're a landscape company, you should have commercial, you should have residential. My electrical company has engineering, electrical, and industrial. So, you want to have different client bases too, because if that one client base dries up, then you want to make sure you have other customer bases. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, that does. Okay. So, and then would you consider when you talk about the P of profit, is that part of the diversification that you were talking about?
1: So, profits is the money, right? <laughs> so, we're all in business to make money. And so many companies don't make money. And I always say, lack of profits are not your problem, they're a the symptom of. If you have a headache, The headache is not the problem. It's a symptom of something going on in your body, right? It's alerting you to something's wrong in your body. Lack of profits is a huge warning signal that should be paid attention to because it means something's off in your business and it's in the five Ps. If you're not operating in all five Ps, you're not going to be as profitable as you would if you were. So if you are the owner and you're doing everything, and you're working in your business, not on your business, you will never maximize profitability. If you have one profit center and that business and everything shuts down, you have no profits. (laughs) You follow me? If your process is not buttoned up, productive, efficient, then you're going to lose money. If your proprietary isn't protected and you're in court spending hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting, and that's what it gets up to a lot of times, because nobody wins when you go to court, only the attorneys win. So you have to operate on all five P's in which to maximize profitability. Lack of profit means you don't have the proper infrastructure and you're not operating on all five cylinders.
0: Yeah. It's amazing to have these six points. You know, just kind of packaged up, so you know, easily digestible to read and to understand. So, thank you so much for this. is really a service you're providing, not just to women, but to everyone, to all business owners. So, we appreciate that, and it's so exciting to you know get to talk to you and learn more, even more about it. Can you tell us what's going on now? Like, you, I know we have a new release. You want to share a little bit?
1: Sure. So, last time I was on the show, Emily, we talked about Exit Rich launching, right? I think we we're on the show right before the launch date, and you know, the seven P is Pivot, by the way. <laughs> Because we're supposed to launch Exit Rich in 2020. We had to pivot because of the pandemic and we ended up launching in 2021. And just to bring you up to speed, Exit Rich is now a Wall Street Journal bestseller, USA Today bestseller, endorsed by Steve Forbes. Thank you. Co-author Sharon Lecter, forward written by Kevin Harrington, original Shark on Shark Tank. So we're so excited to announce that May 1st, the audio version got released. The audio version because everybody kept saying, Michelle, when you come out with the audio, when you come out with the audio. I'm like, give me a break. I just came out with the book. Are you reading it? No, I don't like my voice. So the audio version came out May 1st, and we're doing this huge promotion, Emily, and we wanted to bring it to your audience specifically. So we're offering Exit Rich for $2.99. $2.99. That's less than a half a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Uh,
0: Everybody has to get this. It's... I so have
1: to. It's $2.99. After May, then it goes up to $25. And I'm going to give the same offer I gave with the Exit Rich printed book version is if you buy the audio version for $2.99. Now you can buy that on Amazon. You can buy that on Apple. You can buy that Barnes & Noble. But when you buy that, I will also give you access as an Exit Rich lifetime member where you have access to SolidTuckerAcademy.com, there's video content and me really doing deep dives into the things that we're talking about today, plus documents, Emily, documents to operate your business, like sample non-competes, you know, policy and procedure manuals, things of that nature to sell your business, sample prospectuses, LOIs, a lot of intents, purchase agreements, due diligence checklists, closing documents, all the documents, hundreds upon hundreds of documents are there for you to utilize. And these documents cost over $50,000 to create. They're there for Two dollars and ninety nine cents,
0: and this is all based on your t- over twenty years of experience j- buying and selling like th- over a thousand businesses.
1: Right. Yes. Over 20 years of experience. So $2.99 is the best purchase you will ever make in your entire lifetime. I mean, (laughs) we spend that on a candy bar. We spend that, you know, I mean, there's very few things you can get for under $3 anymore.
0: Well, that's amazing for you to offer that at such an amazing introductory price for our listeners. And I hope that, you know, I hope everyone takes advantage of that because it'd be crazy not to.
1: (laughs) Yes. And Um, it's a pleasant voice reading it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we wanted to hear you. No, either way is good. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to share with us, where our listeners can find you?
1: Sure. So again, go to your favorite place where you like to buy your audiobooks and get exit rich for $2.99. You can go to Academy.com and take the 6P quiz to see what your strongest P's, your weakest P's. And then also Solertucker.com is our main website where you can connect with me. Follow us on social media. It's always Michelle Seiler Tucker. And then also be sure to listen to our podcast, Exit Rich, where we talk to million dollar and billion dollar exit.
0: Incredible. Well, Michelle Seiler Tucker, always amazing to have you on the Hazard Girls podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners and your exciting new release of your audio book. And everyone should definitely check that out for the month of May 299. Thank you so much. Thanks,
1: Emily. I appreciate it.
0: You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.